A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, uh, we had a bit of a chat because we looked ahead of the football tonight and more, didn't we? We did, and um, we also did the book club. We did. Uh, Up Pompeii by Paul Watson was the focus, and the author himself joined us. Fascinating read. Hope you enjoyed the chat with uh, Luke Moore. Last night was a bit of a dry sporting evening. Okay. I've worked it out that actually Sky, they really spoil us. We're so used to a game every night, mm. a live football. I think there was some Spanish football on ITV4, but I didn't bother with that. But what I did watch was some, I went flicking through the channel, some live greyhound racing from Yarmouth. Wow. It looks like it was filmed on the phone. It was fantastic. <laughs> what a ra- I watched the race. It was brilliant. It was two from one with four mm. in third. Oh, tremendous. Wow, what a race. This is why you're going for your new never, number system. It'll never it? be forgotten, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, can do, you can give us Andy's <laughs> dog of the day, can't you? That'd be fantastic. Okay, so I've got to pick a number between, say, one and 12. Eight. Okay, I've picked eight. You picked number eight. Okay. In, in International what race? A- Angel in the 130 at Nottingham. Yeah. And it is, oh, it's second favourite. Oh, there you go. So it's got a chance. Tony Hamilton on board. Marvellous. <laughs> so that's Andy's now. Just remind <laughs> yeah. us, number eight, international what? International Angel. And where's it running? Nottingham. Fantastic. One thirty. Tremendous. Andy's nap of the day. So uh, mm. I've just I've just been doing a bit for Dutch TV. I know you're big in uh, Holland now. I am, that's right. And uh, it's very interesting chatting with the guys off air about the way they see the, mm. the game tonight. Um, and one of the questions the boys put to me was, uh, is the whole of the UK talking about this match? Is the whole of kind of London talking about this match? I said, well, the Tottenham fans want Tottenham to win, but fans of the other London clubs want to see Tottenham get stuffed, which I completely yeah, uh, I understand. Think I think that's fairly true. But they were making the point, I said, I'm sure, you know, final... There are people who want the English yeah. teams to do well. There are, there are. you know. But, but, you but know, they're not if you've London got skin football in the fans. game, exactly. <laughs> but I was saying, I'm sure the final fans would want Ajax to lose. And they were saying, well, not necessarily. You know, because mm. it's, you forget how important tonight is for Dutch football collectively. Because as it is, uh, they're not cut the sort of slack in mm. qualifying that we are. And Ajax, despite what they've done this year, will still have to come back sort of in early-ish July mm. to kind of pre-qualify again. Uh, Absolutely. Which, which, considering the side have got to the semi-final, feels a bit unfair. It um, does actually. Yeah. And it's interesting talking to them as well. We'll come on to Marcel uh, van der Kran chatting about this. That they don't quite know what to expect. They said that you know Ajax be against Juve and against Real. Madrid, there was no expectation on them. They could just go out and play that game. And and he said that there is a bit of a feeling maybe that they could clam up a little bit. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I mean, logic says they'll beat Tottenham. Tottenham was so depleted and so, played so many games. But I've just got a feeling that Spurs collectively will have enough to get through on the two nights. And also, I think both Madrid and 
Juventus were complacent, but we talk about yeah, that later. We will. I don't know if you saw today's son noticed the comparison between Anne Hathaway yeah. and snooker legend Dennis Taylor. And I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> I remember I turned on Graham Norton the other week and Anne Hathaway was on there, and I thought, that's good. That's a good gig for Dennis. <laughs> Sitting there next to Rebel Wilson. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, it's not the only similarity. Mm. Have you heard Anne's version of Snooker Loop? I, I, I love the bit where she goes, Cause I wear those goggles. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I that bet line. it's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's tremendous. What it was, folks, it was a little fashion uh, thing where uh, she was wearing, uh, it was Anne Hathaway. Big glasses. Big, big glasses. So, really, anybody in big glasses, a welder, Anne Hathaway, you, you dig out that old picture of Dennis Taylor, uh, don't you? Yeah. And you put that next to it and say, oh, look, Snooker Loopy and Hathaway. <laughs> she may it. love her snooker. She may, may be a, could be a big She's always at the crucible. fan of Judd Trump. We don't know, do we? She's <laughs> nice. always at the crucible in the front. <laughs> Highly unlikely, yeah. I'd say. And uh, what else did I watch? I watched a bit of cricket last night. Did you so, want IPL? Ooh, a bit of IPL. It was the last mm. game of the uh, of the sort of formal stages, the, what else, what do you call it, the preliminary stages yeah, yeah, before yeah. the knockout. The league, the group phase. That's it, you got there in the end, the I group did, phase, yes. yeah. And uh, honestly, the World Cup is going to be fantastic this summer. There are so many great players going to be on show. So it's it's very exciting. So, oh, and Chelsea lost in the, uh, lost to Porto 3-1. In, in the, the Youth Cup. It's the fourth time in six <clears throat> years that Chelsea mm. have got to the under, it's called the UEFA Youth League. Yeah. And they've got to the final. I mean, wouldn't it be criminal to waste this talent that they've been producing? Did not see it's one of your other used. young lads who's doing rather well at the moment sort of saying that he wants out now? I don't know if, look, I don't know if it's true or not. Is um, there one from... Torino, Ola Aina, is it? No, him? no, it wasn't him. It's uh, a lad who's been playing. I think all bets are off, though. Football. If they get their transfer ban, all bets are off. I think everyone's then got a chance, and then it'll be up to whoever the manager is uh, to pick out of those 40 players that Chelsea have got. It's you know. um, Casey Palmer. Interesting Norwich and Sheffield mm, United yeah. at Bristol City. He's done all right for, he's done all right for Huddersfield. He's, yeah, he's a good player, but he's not. I don't think he's quite at the level of, say, Loftus-Cheek or... So he wouldn't be Hudson too upset if he went? Well, they can't all be, you know, it's a very, very high standard. He's a very good player, and I'm yeah. sure he'll have a great career. He's had a good career so far. Talking of uh, snooker, one of the things that Ali uh, Ross does in his fine column every Tuesday is uh, he, he must sit there and watch the subtitles, puts up the uh, subtitles oh, yeah, there for the hard of hearing. And <laughs> yeah. occasionally the, mm. the people doing the king get it slightly wrong. And this one uh, was fantastic. Ronnie O'Sullivan, it said in subtitles on the BBC, <laughs> the greatest player ever to lift a cucumber. That's <laughs> great, fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. isn't it? Brilliant. Well, you can't argue with that. No, you can't. And I joked about Harry Redknapp being H in Line of Duty yeah. because he's in so many shows. But he's in another one tonight. It's incredible. He's in a thing called Hard to Please OAP. Yeah, this is a series, Andy. It's, it's, my mum's mm. enjoying it. She's very much enjoying oh, the so series. Your mum was in it. No, she's, <laughs> no, she's, uh, she's, she's been enjoying the series. Yeah, yeah well, so. I'll tape it and watch it in about ten years' time. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, I think you'll love it, definitely. Good. Okay. So is that that's, it? That's it for now. Yeah. yeah. I've got um, just a, a quick one. Uh, no, I'll tell you what. Let's pick up on something uh, Toby uh, just said. The, the guys were coming in filming mm. a little bit. Dutch TV said... Do you mind if we come in the studio and film the start of the show and we just kind of cut it into your little interview? Mm -hmm. So I said, no, absolutely, that's fine, you know. So uh, the Dutch film crew were here and Toby uh, reads the um, the sport for us. Mm. He said, uh, oh, he said, I only know one Dutch phrase. Yeah. And uh, he used it to uh, the cameraman who kind of nodded. He seemed quite impressed, impressed wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And I said, okay, what does it mean? He said, uh, your shoes are nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so thought, Cameron looked at him sideways yeah, after he did that. A bit. <laughs> yeah, so of all the things, he said, well, I think I was in Holland and uh, <laughs> I had a nice pair of shoes on and someone said it to me and asked him what it meant and it stuck with me. Oh, right. He's a bit of a linguist, old... Uh, well, no, he can, if he's not, he can say, yeah, your he, shoes no, are no, nice. He speaks German, I think. Oh, OK, right. I think I, think I, I, I might be doing him a disservice. Well, if he does speak German, then mm. maybe you think he might just worked up one or two other phrases. on German football. Yeah. I might be overstating <laughs> yeah. it. Well, he can do that. If he can do I'll the sport out. in German at um, one thirty, <laughs> we'll, we'll know, won't we? That would be tremendous. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. Yeah, every week around this time, we take a different sports book and um, have a good look uh, at it. And um, mm. if it's one you've read before, we'd love you to get involved. Uh, if not, it's one hopefully we can entice you to We take some uh, suggestions to too, read. We? Yeah. Because we're all drawing on books we've read, but the listeners yeah. may have read a book that we don't, we're not aware of that they love. Yeah, worth happy out. to take suggestions from you. Talksport.com forward slash H&J. Text to 81089 or tweet to TSH&J. Um, today's book is written by a pretty regular guest to the studio. In fact, uh, he'll be joining us on the phone a little bit uh, later on, Paul Watson. And uh, his book, Up Pompeii, um, leading the ultimate football underdogs to glory. And, of course, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble. And the season ticket here on TalkSport has rejoined us. Hi, Luke, good to see you. Good afternoon. Good to see you guys too. Um, so, uh, Up Pompeii, I suppose we should sort of set the scene, really. Yes. So, Up Pompeii is exactly as you described it there. But to give more information, more meat on the bones, Paul Watson and his pal, Matt Conrad, um, go to Pompeii in Micronesia to try and become international coaches, the world's youngest international coaches coaches they originally wanted an international cap um but this is the compromise they settle on like many people have done i'm sure many people listening were they were thinking you know what 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 sort of international team could i actually be good enough to play for now i'm led to i've never seen him play but i've led to believe paul watson the author was quite a decent football player at an amateur level and he thought well there's there's these teams out there maybe we can go and represent them um they end up re- i think they read an article they find some sort of information about um about pompeii and how you know, problematic the football teams are over there in that part of the world, and they decide that's the, that's the destination for us, and we're we're heading over there. Matt Conrad um, takes a place at film school, so doesn't actually make the initial trip. Paul has to go on his own. But to give people a bit of perspective about Pompeii, it's spelled P O H N P E I. If people want to check it out further, it's one of a handful of islands that makes up the Federated States of Micronesia. It's incredibly isolated. It's in the South Pacific. Hardly any proper infrastructure at all. A huge problem with obesity and one of the wettest climates on Earth. Some places in Micronesia receive 300 inches of rain a year. Mm. So for perspective, London receives about 25 inches of rain a year, and it's known as a fairly wet place, right? Particularly in the winter. Yeah. Um, Heavy pitches and... Well, well, actually, I don't think yeah. any pitches. Underwater pitches, essentially, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, the journey is interesting, isn't it? Very to interesting. Get, to get to uh, to Pompeii, you fly from uh, well, he flies from London to Dubai, Dubai to Manila, Manila to Guam, yeah, and then finally Guam to Pompeii. Forty-five minutes stop on the neighbouring island of Chuk. Yeah, four flights, twenty-five hours in the air uh, is how long it takes. And, Perhaps but more interestingly, I've actually been to the South Pacific. I've been to the Cook Islands, which I thought was quite close by to Pompeii, but it's not actually that close by because the Pacific's absolutely massive. And to get to the Cook Islands, you have to fly to um, Auckland, which I suppose you do via, I did it via Singapore and Sydney. Then you fly to Fiji, and then you go Fiji to, to Cook Islands. So it's sort of quite a similar wow, why journey. Why did you go there? I was living in New Zealand at the time, oh, and right. I decided to drop, drop, 
sort of stop off on the way back home. But it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think the Cook Islands are as isolated and are as um, that similar to, to Pompeii based on what I've read in Paul's book. But anyway, so he decided, they settle on this uh, destination. Paul heads over there. And uh, immediately just just tries to get tries to get stuck in. I mean, they've got no real football playing heritage, or I mean, and, and from from what the book makes out, there's hardly really any understanding of the game, generally speaking. Mm. Anyway, I mean, and and when he first gets there, um, the, the only pitch that he can find is covered in toads and big <laughs> puddles all over the place, and it becomes clear quite early on that it's quite the undertaking. Yeah. And that's not even mentioning things like how far away it is, the time difference, contacting his family, he's got a girlfriend and family back home, he's there on his own, he doesn't have hardly any money, um, and so he immediately sets about trying to put a team together, putting spons- sponsors together, trying to fund this thing with with a view to, to getting recognised by by FIFA and, and all the rest of it. The, the, the other thing, of course, is that, you know, if you go into another country and you don't know anybody there and you say... I'm here, I've done some of my badges, I'm here to try and coach you and make you a, a kind of a force as a football team, even albeit locally. Mm. That people get people get a bit busy. There are already people out there that are involved in football on a small scale yeah. and they're kind of kind of protecting their own well, situation. Is, and he has that as well, doesn't he? There was yeah. one guy that, that they, you get a feeling later on in the book has been slightly sabotaging oh, yeah. the pitch they play on and sabotaging 100%. their chances. Well, they, I mean, they, they, a couple of those guys tend to act as the gatekeepers of the game. Game, even mm. though they're not really actually doing anything in the game, they yeah. just want to protect it. And if anyone does want to do anything, they want to have a say about it. Just busy people, as you say. That, that, I mean, people who have who have maybe had the odd run in with the local parish council will know exactly what we mean. It's that kind of principle, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. But the thing, the thing is, he, he, he goes over there. He realizes pretty quickly the, the size of the undertaking and how difficult it's going to be. And of course, he has to travel back after about six weeks, I think. And um, I think he, well, I, I know because obviously I've read the book, he gets <laughs> he gets a little bit um, disenchanted. He feels like maybe it's going to be too much of an ask. And the key, one of the key moments is when he's back in the UK and he receives an email from a guy called Dilshan, who then goes on really to become the star of the book and the, and the man <clears throat> on the ground in, <clears throat> in Pompeii, <clears throat> who says that, sorry, he couldn't meet him the first time around. He was away visiting family or whatever. And he's got this group of young players that he's been training himself. And at that point, that convinces him to, to go over there because he doesn't want to be like a false prophet. He doesn't want to be the guy who goes over there. He's raised a bit of PR. People are talking about it. He doesn't want to not follow through on it. So he eventually goes back again. And that's where he really really starts to get busy. And before he goes back again, uh, of course, the, he has that issue where one or two of the papers, because uh, Paul is looking to get some sponsorship, yeah. and he goes to the media, writes a press release that he sends out and says he wants to make uh, Pompeii the Micronesian side. Um, you know, they're, they're not very successful. And the angle that a number of the papers pick up on is world's worst team managed yeah. by Bristol man type Yes, yeah. Paul, Paul was a writer beforehand, so he's knocked yeah. together this press release, put it down to everyone he knows, and it gets picked up. But of course, the tabloids go with the angle, this is the world's worst football team. Yeah. And clearly he then feels very guilty because that story somehow makes its way back to Pompeii one way or another. Mm. And people don't want he doesn't want people to think that he's basically just taking the mick out of them and it's just a, 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 a sort of, you know, a, a, um, yeah, what's the word? It's not a, um, a sort of vanity project. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the things I liked about the book was gradually after an unpromising start, 
we get to meet the characters of the team. Yes. And they are... You don't mean, I mean the like, book's unpromising start. You mean his unpromising start. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, yeah no. I mean his... Flag for 30 his pages. First yeah. meeting yeah. with them, where only four turn up and all this sort of thing. And, and also the local there. customs, Andy. It gets really yeah. interesting yeah. how some of the local customs on the island, you know, you can never be seen to be disrespectful to an older person. Yeah. Um, saving face is very and important. on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> saving a, saving face is important. Well, should we do this show in Pompeii, Andy? The culture would be... If I insulted you, I couldn't. A, I couldn't, and I could never make eye contact with you. I, I try not to anyway. I'm always very disrespectful to both the older gentlemen that see opposite. Yeah, me. yeah, of course. That's um, should very be. Harsh. But, he, but he also has to. He has to go over and and, and there's, there's certain things like local elders where he has to. They're clearly not going to be involved at any point, but it's the polite thing to do to go over there and tell them what you're actually planning on doing, so they can almost give their consent. And he spends a decent amount of time with with Dilshan, who's his man on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, getting all these things done, getting all these things squared away. The internal politics of the island is actually quite interesting as well because you mentioned there when they fly over, they fly via this island called Chuk. Um, the four um, islands that make up Micronesia are Chuk, Kosran, Yap. And there's kind of this big brother type um, island in terms of Guam, which is mm. a US dependency, a kind of a US overseas territory, which is seen as being the big mover and shaker in that area. Um, and, they, and, that, and Guam goes on to play a bit, um, a bit more of a, of a part later on, which I'm sure Paul will tell us when he's on the phone in, in a wee while. But then obviously FIFA rear their heads as well because they get into this catch-22 situation where Paul is contacting the appropriate FIFA representative who's saying, look, we can only really get involved with you if you're combined as the, Feder- the FSM, the states of Micronesia. The thing is, I mean, they're, they're disparate. I mean, fine, they come under the same rough umbrella, but they're disparate. You know, the very idea that, that Paul could logistically put together a team which makes up players from all these different islands is just absolutely fanciful you know they're, 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 some cases they're hundreds and hundreds of miles away so yeah. and, and the contact and the and the and the transport links are very very poor so there's a very there's a lot to take in but I think Andy, you're right you hit on something there with, with the characters the characters are very very interesting that the, the way that they react to different situations it's all new to them they don't really know anything about the game there's, there's, there's a nice described with affection aren't they oh absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah but there's a nice moment where to, to put in perspective their their lack of experience with the game that we all take for granted because we've grown up with it, they they can't really... Paul seems to think that some of the players can't really tell the difference between how they're playing and then he puts on, I think it's a video of the 2010 World Cup final or something and, they're, and, they, and they don't really see any difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the game they've just played. Yeah, to them it does, yeah. yeah. There it does. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's that. And it's led, we'll talk to him about this, but it's led to so much for him. I mean, including really the Independent World Cup. I mean, it all really started back with this, his interest in these smaller countries who aren't recognised by FIFA. Yeah, the FIFA World Cup. And it starts with, I mean, this is the thing, it starts with two mates kind of messing about. The kind of conversation you might have late at night with a mate where you've said they've exhausted other things, they've looked at the best kit in League Two last season. They'd spend an (laughs) hour doing that. And then a kind of random pub conversation about surely there is a country in the world where we could get a cap or we'd have to get natural could we do that so I, I love the fact yeah. that it starts from this this kind of tiny the, little point the kind of conversation up. that loads of blokes yeah. have all around the country all the time about who they could play for you hear that you have this, these plumbers you find that they've got like Montserrat heritage and they're not going to play for them yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that kind of thing yeah that's where it all comes from, yeah. yeah. But it turns out that actually he's, he's a pretty decent coach, isn't he? I mean, his, his words are very stirring for that big game at the end, and yeah. you know he dresses like a manager. He gets right into it. Mm. Yeah, no, and I think I think um, 
you know, he's very self-deprecating about his own talents, and, and you know, I think he deserves respect for that. But I, and I don't want to be disrespectful in turn. But it's kind of a situation at the start, at least. And Paul almost all but says this himself: in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Mm. He 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 he's very insecure about whether they're going to see through him and whether he's overstated his own experience. But ultimately, yeah, he does he does come across as a very motivated, a very energetic actually quite decent character who really does want to make a difference and once he invests himself in it I think he feels it's, like it's very important to follow through on it yeah. clearly he knows that long term he isn't going to relocate to Pompeii but he knows that what he can put in place is the infrastructure are the people who are enthusiastic is the kind of organisation that can continue to see football grow in a country which actually has a, a serious problem with, with lack of exercise, serious problem with obesity and opportunities and all that kind of stuff. And as we know, in the right circumstances, football can be a hugely beneficial project mm. and, and sport for people like that. He takes some shirts over there initially. He manages to blag some... Yeovil uh, Town. Yeovil <laughs> Town and Cheltenham, mm. isn't it? I mean, he managed so, to get yeah. the shirts of a couple of clubs and then occasionally the boys that come to those early training sessions will be spotted out and about the island in a Yeovil Town shirt. Yeah, yeah. So um, there, was some, there was some talk of a film. Um, uh, apparently list, it's listed in being in pro, pre-production as yeah. of last year, so I don't know mm. what's happening with well, we'll it. We'll ask yeah. him. But it, yeah. cause it, does, it does feel like it will make a good movie, I think. Well, given that his, 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 his best pal and the guy who ends up going over there late on with him, Matt, is a filmmaker, you'd expect yeah. there'd be some footage. Yeah. Um, in fact, he says in the book there is some footage of some of the games. Because what they want to do, and I should probably round this off before we speak to Paul himself the idea isn't just to go over there and have a bit of fun and have a kick around the idea is to form a league in Pompeii um, select a Pompeii national team from that league <clears throat> and then go to neighbouring Guam which is you know in, 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 in comparison a very very affluent you know established football nation that's recognised by FIFA and go over there and actually compete and win a game or two and, and really put them on the map and put and make the first steps towards um, giving them a, a proper coherent football league. Yeah. And many of these boys have never left Pompeii. They've never left no. the island. They can't even conceive of the fact that they're going to be Travelling somewhere else and and playing football, which is kind of part of the charm oh, of that, and that as you, trip. Isn't and it? as you can imagine, it, the, the job becomes one of, of a huge amount of admin, the yeah. organisation to arrange passports and and the correct facilities and the kind of um, mm. the equipment they mm. need. And you know, you're talking about Yeovil Town shirts. A lot of the guys that when they first when Paul first goes over there don't have correct foot, footwear or don't really know anything about the game. So it's, it's it's very very difficult. It's a big ask. So we're chatting about Pompeii by Paul Watson, and uh, Paul's going to join us uh, very shortly because uh, this kind of championing the under the dog in football uh, doesn't leave him after this um, because it, it, as he explained he went and did it again and now he's the kind of well I wouldn't say set blatter I wouldn't even call him the Infantino of, uh, of unofficial FIFA teams let's call him that let's not tar him with those particular brushes <laughs> probably won't thank you for that no he won't but he'll tell us more uh, about that we're discussing uh, Up Pompeii by Paul Watson um, in the book club Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Yeah, did you see uh, a lot of papers picked up on uh, Pochettino's words yesterday about uh, infinity and beyond? Oh, yeah, that was a bit of a weird one, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit strange, but that's what he's like. And they uh, mocked him up. They kind of mocked him up as Buzz Lightyear, but I think the Sun have definitely got it better than the start. The start didn't really bother. They said, maybe they didn't have as much time. (laughs) Just wearing the spacesuit. Yeah. Whereas at the Sun, they've got the full full headgear. He's gone for Uh, it, yeah. yeah. But they both do this thing, though. They go, Poch, as he might look, as the Toy Story character. How Poch might look as a Toy Story hero, Buzz Lightyear. Of course, who else would it be? Yeah. (laughs) It's brilliant, isn't it? And the same with License to Krill which is a brilliant headline about the whale wearing the Russian spying equipment that mm. was found off the coast. Wonderful yeah. headline. But then they go, experts reckon the whale, which eats tiny sea creatures known as krill. Yes, we know that. Don't tell us. Just have a brilliant headline and have the confidence to go with it. Even if you if you didn't know what krill were, reading that wouldn't make you suddenly go, Oh, I get it now. I get it now. I tend to agree with you, but it's it's all newspapers do it. Don't they, they do. Like they, they all do it. I there should be a line yeah. uh, in there that explains exactly what's going on. You're telling us this afternoon about um, useless phrases you've uh, retained from school. It all kicked off with Toby Gillies, who brought us the sport, who can say in Dutch, as he did to some uh, Dutch uh, reporters who came in earlier on ahead of the game tonight, your shoes are nice. I don't think even their shoes were particularly nice. They were wearing quite battered trainers. I'd say they were, yeah. But that's a phrase he can remember in Dutch, and, and by George, he was going to use it. So you've told us about some of the others this afternoon that, that are fairly useless, but you still retain them from school or otherwise. Uh, Simon in uh, London says, for some reason, I can say in Spanish, the white hat is on the table. <laughs> Really? Again, very specific, you know. Yeah. But just to go in, just to go into a restaurant one day and a bloke gets up to leave and you see him doing a little mime outside, <laughs> touching his head, and he thinks, oh, he's left his hat here, and, oh, it's a white hat, and, well, look where he's left it. <laughs> it's just that one big, his big moment, Simon, just to be able to say <laughs> it. But it. Uh, it's, it's, it seems unlikely, I think. Uh, we've gone to the court uh, here in the Times today for a beautiful cricket-style uh, extra initials marriage announcement. This one's a mum. This is almost as many as we've ever had. <laughs> Miss M.M.M. Bickett. M.M.M. Bickett. Yeah. From the pavilion end, M.M.M. Bickett. The three M's, as yeah. uh, Alan Latchley Yeah, never said, mind yeah. three. The bloke she's marrying is Mr. FXPG Rusler. <laughs> FXPG. FXPG. I wouldn't Rusler. get my foreign exchange from anywhere else. <laughs> Fantastic. They give you a good rate on dollars at the moment. Brilliant, yeah. isn't it? So, so blimey, if she's going to. That's, that's some initials there, yeah, isn't it? That's a lot of initials, I now, agree. Uh, this was an interesting story. One in five pets uh, watch at least an hour's TV a day hmm. uh, with oh, their yeah. owner. Now, um, my dog's <laughs> not a big TV watcher. Are they watching or they're just sitting there with you? They're no, not really watching. No, them. there is a difference. They'll sit there not interested. But mm. I tell you what, this is a mark of how popular this mm. show is at the moment. What, Line of Duty? Yeah. 
<laughs> not the whole thing. Yeah. No, not, not the whole thing, but she suddenly looked up at one. She never bothers with the telly. I'll tell you in a minute the only thing she watches. Mm. And it isn't tipping point. Or crufts. Or crufts. Not interested in oh, not interested in crufts. Not interested. If a dog barks on the telly, half an ear, but yeah. not that fussed. Yeah. If there's no smell to go with it, it's clearly not a dog in the room. So, but yeah, suddenly, half, about halfway through line of duty, she gave it about a minute of her time. I don't know what it was. There wasn't a police dog involved. I, there, was no, there, was, there was no dog, no dogs involved at all. But it's, I suppose it's a mark of uh, Jebba was writing that the dog well, suddenly, after, here's five shows in. Did I she like the bodyguard? Her, yeah, not massively keen on the bodyguard, okay. not like I knew. The only thing that gets her going, actually mm. barking at the telly, is skiing. I don't skiing. know if it, yeah, I don't know if it's it looks like it looks like you know somebody's kind of coming into the room. It's quite a lot of bright colours. She's quite taken if someone's mm. wearing yellow or whatever. Like Is there any skiing or ski Sundays? Um, I think it was during the Winter Olympics. Okay, started going mad and barking at the telly. Wasn't David Vine's jumper in the old days? No, no, that's a long way <laughs> back. Long Andy. That would have been a long time ago. She wasn't born then. <laughs> but anyway, I just passed this on. And uh, well, but it's all good stuff. Isn't line it? of duty and skiing on the telly. Only thing that gets my <laughs> dog interested. Talking of old references, very happy birthday to. Uh, Dickie Davis, presenter of World of Sport. He's 86 today, so well done, Dickie. Hey, wish a, you very well. amazing, isn't it? Yeah, well and um, what else have we got here? Uh, oh, yeah, this was a strange one with Mo Farah. This was an odd story. This is <laughs> um, going back to this spat over the yeah. weekend, is it? Well, yeah. it's more, it's, it's, you know, he finished three minutes behind the bloke who won it, Kipchoge. And, uh, but his coach says his man can still triumph at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Yeah. He said it's a different race. You're thinking, God, blimey, I don't know. It's three minutes is a lot. I mean, no, it's a marathon, but that's a lot of time to make up. Yeah. You know, so... So you're well, telling him what, don't bother? Well, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, if you're listening, don't bother. Well, it's a lot of training, not isn't it? it, not to finish in the top three. That's the yeah. only thing. You know, this is a man that's used to double gold in five and ten. He's done it twice. It's a brilliant <laughs> record. World championships. I wouldn't imagine that there's much fun doing an event where you're not, the best when you've used to being the best maybe that's the challenge okay well yeah you've got to well, have a challenge in life well, you've got to have a challenge that's very very true um, um striker you know i told you striker's gone a bit off this the is old. the comic strip in the sun yeah it's gone striker. full gangster now okay because uh really the owner of the, well the owner of the acapulco aztecs ed colton has been murdered oh no i much prefer the drama of a sort of shouldn't we have a breaking news stamp <laughs> from that i think we should have done really since the moment's gone isn't you know, it, i prefer really? the drama of a final day relegation battle for Warbury. Yeah, there's less football in it than it used <laughs> to be, isn't far there? Less Let's give you a few more of these phrases that uh, you've retained from uh, your youth. JPC says, uh, I can say in French, these are the daffodils for my mum's party. Again, very, very specific. Mm. Um, not sure, but, but my uncle thought it would be wise to teach me to say in German, the left indicator on my ambulance is broken. <laughs> uh, Pablo, that comes from, was he an ambulance driver in, in Frankfurt? We have, we have no idea. Why is he calling himself the Pablo Show? I don't, I've got no idea. Maybe he, he, that's what he does. <laughs> uh, what other ones we got? Oh, yeah, my friend spent three months uh, in Russia uh, on a university placement and came back with the phrase, my bike is in the oven. <laughs> that's from Mark. That's, that's, a, that's a, a good phrase. Uh, just some of these things you might be able to use at some point. Um, yeah, anyone who's had anyone who's had their water pump go in Bilbao will be glad they mm. remember the phrase uh, from Bomba d'Aqua. 
uh, apparently. Uh, I mean, that could mean something actually worse. That's from Danny, but <laughs> I, I think I, even my... Yeah, that should be OK. All I can remember <laughs> from Year 8 French is, I'm 11, put the ham in the fridge. Right. I like the sound of that. That's no, from really. Paul. And uh, another quick one uh, of these. Uh, my best Spanish phrase from Trapsy, the Leeds fan, is the swimming pool is closed. Wow. Which, uh, if you just hang around outside the swimming pool after six o'clock, you're going to get used out of that. Someone's going to rock up with a towel under their arm, <laughs> look long, and then they try and touch the gate, and you go, hang on, the swimming pool is closed. Well, fair, fair enough. Yeah. Did you see uh, Daniel Craig is uh, insisting on having, according to a story in The Sun today, on having his own physio, chef, and personal trainer while filming in Jamaica? Yeah. His demands come as insiders tell of production rows and problems on set. I always find this a bit much, though. He says, it says here, films was, Dan is a perfectionist and his chef will only cook for him. You think to yourself, it's just acting, mate. When, when did you become this person that was an actor, you were working in something, that, to this? Don't you think that's, I always find that sort of deaverish behaviour. I don't have a rider here at TalkSport. Don't you? <laughs> no. I think you'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't you, really? You can be a bit deaverish at times, <laughs> I though. Can't. Oh, we can. can't. I'm can't. looking next door. Come on. Never. Yeah, come on. Never. I'm looking at the producer. He's trying to be... He's trying to do the right thing, but he's not full. He's staying out of it, he says. But, <laughs> well, you know, you have your moments. I mean, you like don't, me, so he's a You don't well. insist on your own cook. Yeah, that is true. So, all right. He does on. here at the canteen. He only eats when one bloke cooks for him. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. What about that? The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. Yeah, Book Club today we're discussing Up Pompeii by uh, Paul Watson. When the book came out, Paul, of course, came and saw us in the studio. He's been a regular visitor ever since. We try and help out if we can with his uh, his various ventures in Mongolia and oh, yeah, beyond. that was good. And uh, very pleased to say uh, he joins us now. How are you, Paul? Good afternoon. Afternoon. Good. Uh, good to uh, chat to you again. Yeah, I, t- I think we've all. Uh, uh, I think it was the first time Paul had. Uh, um, sorry, Luke had read the book. Andy and I had read it back in the day and uh, really enjoyed it. Again, do you ever? Do you ever kind of revisit that time? Um, well, I actually, funnily enough, the other day I um, was asked by someone if they could have a copy of the book. I realised I don't own it anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in terms of the book, I. I I don't read it very often, um, but the, I'm still very much sort of involved with Micronesia and football and trying to, I guess, just trying somehow to make something of a legacy from something that was a, initially quite a kind of stupid idea. Yeah. Um, but the battle that the book describes of trying to get this this, this tiny sort of part of the world, this tiny nation um, recognition from FIFA, that, that still continues. And to be honest, isn't looking any closer to, to coming to an end. Paul, um, one of the things that came across in the book, as, as Andy mentioned earlier, was was the characters you meet and, and the pictures you paint about them, um, particularly Dilshan, who's your who's your main guy. Do you still keep in touch with any of those guys, particularly Dilshan? And if so, how how are they getting on? Yeah, well, actually, it was it was Matt's wedding uh, last week, so I was supposed to be in LA for that, and Dilshan was there. Oh, brilliant! Um, really? Sadly, I was I was banned from the US because I went to Somaliland for a visit with my current job, Khalifa. Uh, so I wasn't allowed in uh, to the US. So I didn't wow. get to go. But I still do talk to the guys a lot. Um, I stay in touch with, with most of them, in fact. Um, what, what's happened, really, is a lot of them have scattered around the world, um, largely studying. So a lot of them went to the US to study, uh, which is an option very much open to, to Micronesians. And actually, like on a selfish point of view, this was the problem that we had, was that we left this team of players who were sort of driven, motivated, and ready to coach to at least a reasonable level. Um, and then a lot of them, for their own sort of 
for their own good, um, went to get an education elsewhere. Uh, so there's a handful of the players still left on the island coaching. Um, Bob Paul, for example, who's in the book, um, is, a, is now coaching hundreds of kids on the island. So that, that makes you really happy. But um, we, did, we did sadly lose quite a lot of our players to abroad. And, and that's a cycle that happens a lot in that part of the world. That mm. means it's hard to get trained coaches because they, they just they disappear for at least a few years. But, but if, if Bob, who features in the book, is actually coaching hundreds of young kids now, it sounds to me there is some sort of legacy there anyway, because when you first arrive, it's clearly absolutely bereft of any football at all, really, isn't it? Well, it, the funny thing about the region is it goes through these little cycles, and you see this not just in, in Micronesia, so Pompeii you know, being one of the Micronesian islands. You see it throughout non-FIFA football that you get a little spell where things build up um, because it's usually run by someone who's really passionate uh, voluntarily they disappear for whatever reason and that's when it tends to like go back and, and so you have a cycle where it it disappears and i think i'd i'd arrived in pompeii just after one of those cycles so i came in at the tail end when it had died off again and the big the big battle is to keep you know keep things building and going in a straight line forwards while you're not actually able to pay anyone so it's a lot to ask of people to do this in their spare time mm-hmm. but you know, it is growing there's more football being played there and in the Micronesia region than, than ever before. But as long as you're not getting any funding, it becomes very hard. You know, coaches can't get training. Um, you know, no one's being paid to, to be the person on the field setting out the cones in the driving rain every day. Mm. It, it gets hard, you know, to keep that going. Yeah, yeah. you're involved now with CANIFA, as we just said. This is the Confederation of Independent Football Associations, the non-FIFA affiliated associations. And you had the World Cup... Uh, here, um, I went to a quarter final actually. I went to the one at Bromley, this Sigali yeah. land against Western Armenia. Yeah, it was a game, oh. Northern Cyprus game last uh, last year as well. It was a, a fantastic tournament. I just wonder if some of the frustrations that you kind of encountered in this of raising funds and and the kind of the pushback you had generally has led you to want to get more involved in in this kind of aspect of the game. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like a natural fit for me that um, after Pompeii to have this kind of world opened up to me that I think, you know, 99% of football fans, even passionate football fans don't know exists. Um, to see this world where you're, you're, you're not being supported by anyone and yet there's this passion for the sport, um, that, that made Kanifa quite a natural fit that I'd want to sort of get behind and, and help in any way I can with, with people who are being frozen out in a sporting way. And it's not just this little part of the world in Micronesia where, you know, membership applications being ignored by Oceania football and Asia football. It's also people who have been persecuted. You know, you, you, people who live in, in, you know, Tibetans, for example, aren't going to play for China. Um, the, the Uyghur people aren't going to play for China. Uh, the Rohingya aren't going to play for Myanmar. So, so where do these people who, who love football, how do they sort of express that identity? So for me, it's a real passion that, you know, that I believe like FIFA states that football is for everyone. And I, I think it, just gets me very sort of hot under the collar when I see that people are effectively being denied the chance to, to, to express themselves through football. I was going to ask you that. Could FIFA do more? Because they, they don't come out of it particularly brilliantly, do they, in, in the book? You know, uh, FIFA, FIFA can't do more with a lot of things. So I'm, I would never blame FIFA for not allowing Tibet in. It's the nature of the world. It's, it's self-evident. You know, t- FIFA presents a, a system and it needs to be there. And I respect that system as far as it goes. So I wouldn't expect them to start recognising unrecognised states and things like that. It would disintegrate very quickly uh, if they tried that. But in terms of Oceania, they are neglecting that region. And whether they're doing it actively or passively, 
these are you know it's it's a million people in in uh, spread across several different nations who are playing football regularly or would like to and have been spending you know decades trying to access a, the bare minimum of support mm-hmm. and are being given no pathway and i respect you know there have to be protocols but what are you supposed to do when you know you're on a little island and you do your best to apply and you just get one email every year telling you your application was incomplete yeah. with no further information what they can do is that I, I come away from reading the book thinking what they could do is they could actually start some kind of recruitment drive where they find people who want to go to places like Micronesia. They can hire them to go there. Mm. They can therefore be sure that the money's going to be spent in the right way if it comes from FIFA themselves. And they can make a bit more of an effort to install a presence in terms of football in, into those nations. Yeah, that, funny enough, that's exactly what I've been trying to do with, yeah. with sort of moderate, to well, low success, really. Um, is exactly that is to find people who want to go there and do really do what I did, but with actual qualifications, you know, go and, and coach, go and get involved in the, the governance and the running of an FA. But I'm not saying, as you say, I'm not send, saying send hundreds of thousands of pounds. I'm not even saying send any money, send assistance, I think, and um, just prevent, uh, provide some kind of stepping stone that it's not like you're at zero. You've got to get here before we're going to listen to you, but but provide that that pathway. Mm. And I'm always keen to hear from coaches who might be interested, or even not coaches, even anyone interested in administering football in some way, going there and helping the FA. But the problem that you run into is it, it costs you know thousand pounds plus to get there from the UK, from Europe, um, and and raising that kind of money is very difficult because there aren't really any sponsors who particularly see the Micronesian market as their target market no, but, for sponsorship. But, but FIFA could use some of that surplus, couldn't they? That's some of well, that four FIFA, billion pound surplus. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it could, obviously, but <laughs> that, I think, you know, there are obviously reasons it's not happening. I, I suspect it's actually it's <clears> to do with uh, politics. It's, it's, I think Oceania football's budgets are being cut and cut and cut, partly, you know, since Australia left and Oceania is being cut adrift to some extent football-wise. Um, mm. So I think they see it that adding any extra members is simply dividing their mm. pot by more yeah. so I, I do understand it it just as you say it it doesn't sit well when you've got a region with the highest obesity rate in the world kids who love playing sport and and they're just being given no opportunity really to to take the game anywhere it, it's really sad to see it well paul good to talk to you as always mm. um we'll catch up with you soon and I've, i feel like we should send you one of our spare copies in the office you haven't got a copy yeah. of your own book <laughs> and, thank, so. and thanks for writing the book it's a great yeah, read and yeah. i think the reason we want to talk about it today is because a lot of people out there who, who may not have heard of it will, will absolutely enjoy it and we'd implore them to go out and read it absolutely cheers paul you promote it thank you cheers <laughs> cheers there we are that was this afternoon's show we'll return uh, tomorrow from uh, one o'clock to pour over spurs ajax and look ahead to uh, barca liverpool should be fantastic. Oh, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, have a great evening. Come on, you Spurs. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.